Hello, and welcome to another, another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops, I'm your host, and today I'm very excited to bring you an interview with cozy mystery writer Sarah Rosette. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be able to chat with you today. Um, we've been able to meet a couple times in person at the Novel Inc. conference, which was um, always a lot of fun. But uh, when I was there, especially listening to you talk and some of the roundtables and things like that, I was thinking to myself, that here's, here's a woman who knows a lot about what she's doing, a lot about her genre, a lot about her, her um, you know, a lot about writing. And I was just so thrilled to get you on as a guest. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I love talking about books, so very exciting. Yeah, and you write a really fun genre, and you write multiple series in it. So I can't wait to talk about that. Um, so first off, for people who aren't familiar with you and what you write, could you tell them a little bit about um, Murder at Archley Manor, your newest um, book? Okay, so it's a cozy mystery. It's a historical, so it's set in 1920s England, mm-hmm. and it's about this woman that she's been raised in a family that's um, associated like with the gentry so like they she has a wealthy background but her family has no money so she has to get a job and um, that was quite a challenge for a woman and then in the 1920s in England they were kind of having a recession after World War One and so it was very hard to find work so she ends up working for her aunt doing some research on her cousin's fiance who seems a little shady Okay. And then there's a death, and she becomes involved in the investigation, and, you know, then it goes on from there. So yeah. So it allowed me to, like, indulge in all the fun Downton Abbey-esque time period details and and then do the murder mystery at the same time. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And it seems like you have some, some running themes in a couple of your series, um, one being... England, having it be set in the English countryside, or um, in this case, the 20s in England. Um, where did your love of England and that as a setting come from? Always loved to read books about England and by English authors. I grew up reading like Mary Stewart, okay. and um, a lot of her books were set, you know, in like exotic locations. I grew up in Texas, so mm-hmm. anything outside of Texas was exotic and interesting to me. So and I always wanted to go there and visit, and I got to go on a trip, I think in the... Um, about 2000 or so and I just loved it and I was like this would be a great setting for a book and so I did one series that's like contemporary modern cozy set in England okay. and then the historical series is a little bit of a spin-off because it's the same village but mm. it's in the 1920s instead of you know present day that's really interesting because you we talked before we went on the air just a little bit about the idea of research and how you research. In this case, you're researching <laughs> the same place but in different time periods. That had to mm-hmm. um, it's helpful probably, but also if I remember when things were and weren't there. Yeah. Um, can you yeah. Talk a well, mine's a, mine's a fictional village, so I can. Oh, okay. Of, All right. Yeah. Well, there you go. And do what I want. <laughs> yeah. So, what kind of research did you do that went into making your fictional uh, English village come alive and, and seem real? Okay, well, later I got to go back to England another time. The first time I went, I was mostly around London. Okay. But the last the last time I went, I went to Manchester and visited a bunch of little towns around Manchester, which is a more northern part of England. And so I went to see Chatsworth House, which is a very famous house. Mm-hmm. And um, the village near it, I spent some time there. And so I took tons of pictures. And then I thought, I like this. This would be a great setting. But I wanted to fictionalize it because I thought I don't want to be tied down to specific details, like if they change something, if something, you know, mm-hmm. so it, to make it more t- 
timeless. I've made it a fictional village. But that's kind of what I imagine when I, you know, think about it, when I'm writing about it. But then I just do a lot of um, online research, too, about, like, I... I love YouTube to be able to go like it's it, it's been a while since I've been there so like I can go watch YouTube videos of people that have recorded stuff there and I do like read vlogs and you know just whatever little detail I'm on you know that's what I dive into for research so and then the 1920s stuff is more did a lot of reading of like fiction from 1920s mm-hmm. so that I could get a feel of what their lives were like like how they got from place to place and what they ate and stuff like that yeah did you write it in uh, British English, or did you use American English as an American author? Okay, so that was a debate, yeah. and what I did was I wrote it in American English with American spellings, Okay. And because I thought the majority of readers, my readers, are American, and then you don't get all those strange warnings from when you upload the book, and mm-hmm. so it's kind of a weird, uh, but I do know English authors who use American spellings because there's less problems with it, you know, as far yeah. as like uploading your book and stuff. Yeah. Cause I feel like that would be a difficult decision to make based on who, who, your readership, but then also, um, trying to go with accuracy to the period or, um, so how do you sort of balance out being, okay, this is the 1920s. I need to try to get a 1920s flair, but also mm-hmm. have it come across in a way that appeals to modern readers. Yeah. That's a, delicate balance and so I tried to use like the details like things that were happening then that would be like from the character's perspective like they refer to the Great War but Mm. they don't go into great detail about it like it's it's part of their lives it's something that's happened and then I tried to use a lot of language like word choice that they would use and that's what I picked up from that 20s fiction you know like um you know things like um they would say that's, you know, that's smashing. Right. Or they used a lot of adjectives, adverbs, which is like a huge no-no now. You know, you're not supposed to you use words like that. But they would say, you know, it was frightfully boring, mm-hmm. you know. And so I would put that in dialogue, you know, to kind of give you the feel. Yeah. So, But then I don't want to have so much of it that a modern reader is going to go, oh, this is terrible. I don't understand it. So it's like I want a little bit of it for flavor. But yeah. Not, not like, overwhelming. It's like seasoning, you know, yeah. puts you in the right yeah. frame of mind, mental reference, but without, you know, necessarily completely immersing you in yeah. you know, foreign culture. So I think that that's an interesting topic. I deal with, obviously, the time travel a lot, so mm-hmm. I kind of deal with the idea that we can be foreigners and are in a different time as well as in a different place. Yeah. And how different, you know, cultural ideas are, mm-hmm. um, because you wouldn't necessarily want to go back in time and write your characters with some of the attitudes and issues that they had back then especially when it comes to you know racism there's a lot of modern sensibilities that you know would be offended by just everyday attitudes from the past and it's it's interesting trying to not you know whitewash history or anything like that Mm -hmm. but to respect your readers today and try to present them with a story when heroes that they can like and yeah uh, it's got to be a delicate balance like you said yeah it's challenging yeah um, so what attracted you to the 20s, uh, specifically? Um, well, I love, I love to read uh, books from authors today that are set during that time period. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, I just think it's an interesting time. And then I love to read Golden Age fiction, lots of detective fiction like Agatha Christie, Dorothy Sayers, and you know, Patricia Wentworth, people like that. Yeah. And uh, 
So, and it's just an interesting time because there's so much happens at that point. There's such a transition going on, like, and it's in everything. It's in like the architecture, the fashion, travel, politics. Everything is kind of that's like a pivot point of mm-hmm. you know, World War One has ended, and all these roles have changed, and the social order is kind of disintegrating just a little bit, but it's not totally gone. You know, like the yeah. class system is kind of breaking down a little bit. So. It's just a fascinating time. I completely agree. Just, just in first periods of history, it is kind of like right on the edge of so many things. It's coming off mm-hmm. of an a interesting historical period, going into a his, interesting mm-hmm. historical period. There's so much going on there to, to work with. Um, we had a couple of comments. Uh, Andrea says, hi. Uh, Ernie Dempsey's watching, says, love Sarah. So you get, you get <laughs> some fans watching. Um, I, I encourage anyone who is watching live or if you're watching during the replay, feel free to throw up some comments. Uh, if you're watching, if you're, Commenting live, we'll try to ask those questions for Sarah. Uh, and if you're commenting later during the replay, we'll try to get Sarah back on to come on and possibly answer in the comments if she will. But uh, thanks for watching, guys, and uh, appreciate appreciate the, the hellos. Um, so one of the things I wanted to, to talk about was um, the, the overall concept of the cozy mystery and mm-hmm. the genre. Because obviously it's something that you're very familiar with. You've written multiple mm-hmm. series um, and been very successful at it. Um, one of the things that usually jumps right out at you is the titles, you know, Murder mm-hmm. at Archery Manor. Um, yeah, one of, one of your other titles that, that I loved, um, was Mother's Day Mischief, or Mother's Day Muffins and Murder, mm-hmm. or something like that, where it's like, um, and then of course you have your other, your series that, uh, you know, it's Death, Death and Murder were mm-hmm. the two main keywords. Um, mm-hmm. I think we talked a lot about the power of, of titles and, mm-hmm. and keywords. Can you talk a little bit about that, how you go about specifically naming your your uh, series? Because they're a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I want I want to be clear that it's a mystery, mm-hmm. and it's a murder mystery, usually. So the modern-day series, all those start with death. Mm-hmm. Death in the English countryside, death in English cottage, to emphasize, you know, the location and this mystery. Yeah. And then, so, since I was already associated death with that series that this new one had to i was like okay i guess it's got to be murder and a murder at the location so that kind of makes it easy for readers to kind of sort them out into which category they're in and then um, the first cozy series i wrote was traditionally published with kensington Mm -hmm. and the first book was about a military spouse which is what i am and so she was moving to a new location and i couldn't think of the you know punny titles are big in cozy mystery and i thought well Moving is murder. That's all I could think of. Yeah. And they liked it and they kept it. But then they wanted every title down as the series went on. They were like, they really liked the M mm-hmm. to go with murder. So yeah. towards the end of the series, all of them had to have three words yeah. and then all start with M. So after a while, I was like, I don't can't think of any more M words. <laughs> I'm very impressed with how many M words. I'm glad you picked a letter that has a lot of words, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> but then... <laughs> Um, I was very impressed with how many combinations you managed to come up with, even with uh, mistletoe for your Christmas one, yeah. which I thought was, you know, very yeah. cleverly done. So. Yeah. And then they wanted three, so it couldn't be just mistletoe and murder. Yeah. It had to be yeah. like mistletoe, merriment, and murder. So yeah. It was a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does flow nicely, though. I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what sells better, death or murder? Well, the murder one's pretty new, okay. So, but it's selling really well. Yeah. So I guess murder sells better yeah. <laughs> right now. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, cause since you have both as comparisons, uh-huh. like it's a good experiment. Yeah. Um, so then, of course, we can also talk a little bit about 
the the cover designs. Obviously, you're. I think mm-hmm. I feel like you are very on brand for for your titles and and your covers. And um, as far as a lot of people like, we talked about this before we uh, started recording. That a lot of people don't even know what a cozy mystery is, mm-hmm. but the cover design can so clearly convey mm-hmm. almost the tone. And I think right. that you do that really well. Can you talk a little bit about how you plan that and what that's about? Yeah. Well. I'm not artistic, and so I knew that was not one of my skills. And so I found the cover artist that she's really good at conveying that tone. And cozies are very light. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they do deal with murder, mm-hmm. but the emphasis is more like on the puzzle and like trying to figure out who did it and the relationships between the characters. Yeah. And so my covers are all very bright and light and, you know, kind of cheery in a way. It's yeah. kind of odd that, you know, they're about murder and death but then you've got this beautiful idyllic countryside scene or whatever so i just think that like what i did was i took lots of covers that were similar to what i liked and made a pinterest board and shared it with my cover artist and i was like this is what i like i don't know how to tell you you know what i want but here's kind of what the stories are about and then you know she would come up with the design and stuff so mm-hmm. you know the specifics i left up to her but i just wanted to convey that feeling that it was a fun read and light and not dark and grim you yeah know? absolutely and i think yeah i think you succeeded tremendously well because that's definitely what comes across and i think it's, yeah. a, it's a valuable tip for people to to understand that you need to be able to fit in with the other books that you like, like mm-hmm. you, you need to be able to look like them and not sometimes people new authors especially get the idea i need to be different i need to be I need to stand out, but yeah. you also have to fit in. You have to, yeah. and how important that is to convey that message across. So, um, yeah. one of the things I wanted to talk to you about also was the challenges of writing in a cozy mystery, because mm-hmm. yeah, you do have to keep it light. You have to watch your tone. You have to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that goes into this, but at the same time, you have to construct a mystery, leave mm-hmm. clues. Um, can you talk a little bit about the the structuring of a murder mystery for a cozy? Yeah. Yeah, so like for a mystery, you've got to be able to leave enough clues that the reader feels like the reader can follow along, mm-hmm. and if they picked up all the clues, they could figure it out. But you okay. want to cover them up enough or distract enough that they might miss them. But you want them to get to the end and go, oh, of course, yeah, you know, that's who it was. But you don't want them to get to the end and go, what? That doesn't make sense. Right, yeah. So, um, but then like with a cozy you've got the additional challenge that your main character is an amateur, mm. an amateur sleuth who really doesn't have access to, you know, DNA analysis and fingerprints. Just like if you're writing a police procedural, mm-hmm. you have different ways that you would incorporate the clues. So you kind of have to figure out how your person is going to be involved in the crime. And you have to have a reason because most people would not be interested in messing around in a criminal investigation. So you kind of have yeah. to figure out how they're going to be involved and then how they're going to find the clues and how the clues would be something they could interpret. So a lot of times it's um, the person's, like, special knowledge of a world they're connected to. Like, sometimes, like, my mysteries that were about the military spouse are a lot of the mysteries took place, like, in a squadron or, mm. you know, and so it was, like, her knowledge of the world and the people in the world that gave her the clues to solve the mystery. Yeah, they have to have bring something to the table that yes. maybe nobody else has, despite yeah. their deficiencies at law enforcement or things like that. Yeah. That's an interesting um, challenge. Um, 
Marilyn says, I love Cozy Mysteries. Got to get these. Andrea says, the covers are great. I had not seen these before. I just downloaded one. So uh, got some you. new readers there. Um, awesome. You just mentioned something that, you know, there there's a specific trope here that the mm-hmm. sleuth, in the case of a Cozy Mystery, is an amateur. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the other tropes that kind of set Cozy apart from a typical mystery besides the amateur status of the detective? So it's usually, I mean, not always, but usually it's a woman is mm-hmm. the main character. I mean, that seems to be, I think most of my readers are women, and so they like to read about women's sleuths. And usually the sleuth has some sort of interesting hobby or job or connection to some world that's kind of interesting that you kind of learn about. So, like, maybe the person um, owns a bake shop, and a lot of times it lends itself to, like, including recipes in the mm. book or there's, or they own a knitting shop or run a knitting club or a book club, some hobby that people go, oh, that sounds interesting. I would love to either do that or learn more, or that's my favorite hobby. I want to keep reading about it, you know? Yeah, so they connect with them on multiple levels. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And then there's like the, usually it involves like a small town. You've got to have a, like a limited setting hmm. so that it, your mystery has to be limited to a certain number of suspects because otherwise... It could have just been a crazy person who was passing through town. You know, you've got to yeah. have the ability to limit it. So sometimes it's like you can limit it to like a school, a work, a neighborhood. Um, like Murder on the Orient Express mm-hmm. is limited to a train. You know, Whoever's on the want. train, those are the only yeah. suspects. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So stuff like that, and then um, probably the the relationships between the characters are really important. So a lot of times people read the cozy mysteries and they're interested in the mystery but they really want to know what happens in this little town or village to the different friends and family of the main character. So that's all really important and cozy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, those are some really good tips, and I think that the people will get a lot out of that. Um, and I should mention that you, for for the writers out there, because I know a lot of <laughs> writers watch this show as well as readers, but you do actually have a course on this you've you've mm-hmm. taught this for you know, obviously you're very knowledgeable from your own experience but can you tell people a little about the the course that you offer on, on how to write yeah. a cozy yeah sure it's just it kind of goes through the basics of like the different elements of the cozy what kind of what readers expect and what mm-hmm. they want and then i take um two movies because it's easier for people to watch a movie really quickly than read a bunch of books so mm-hmm. i take rear window and um the original Murder on the Orient Express movie yep. and break those down and kind of go through the story structure of like, okay, here's act one and this is what happens and here's act two and this is what happens. So you can really see, you know, how the different um, parts of the cozy fit together. And I just kind of walk everybody through it. And then um, I talk about like, you know, if you're writing a series, um, romance, because that's, because some readers like romance in a cozy, but you have to be careful and not like, put too much in because really hardcore mystery readers are like, they don't want a lot of romance, just a little bit. So, you know, we talk about that and um, just kind of give an overview of um, like how to plan it, how to get started, how to have a um, plan so that you at least have an idea of where your book is going. Yeah. And then I'm sure it changes mine. I'll have an idea of what I think a book is going to be. And then it always changes as I'm writing it, but I feel better having the plan to start. Absolutely. Yeah. That's because it, it is interesting, you know, how obviously your characters can go a different direction, but it still mm-hmm. has to solve the mystery at the end. Yes. <laughs> you know, you have to actually, the clues have to have to add up. And right. I, I can see how this would be a more structured story in some ways than others because you can't just yeah. pants your whole way through the whole thing and expect it to make sense. 
Um, is there, or do you plan to have, or do you have a book that goes along with this course, or is it uh, the course is separate from? I have a workbook that okay. um, is yeah. print version, and it basically, like at the end of each uh, little module, I have questions to help you figure out, you know, where you're at, and help you figure out, kind of get down paper, you know, what the lesson was about, and so the workbook includes all those, and um, a little, you know, just kind of quick summaries of the the module, and yeah. then um, I just haven't done a print version of the whole course because I figured, you know, it's it would just be kind of a repeat of the workbook. Right. So yeah. the workbook is available. So no, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's. I know that you do have a, a, a nonfiction book out though, which is about your efficient writer being mm-hmm. in the efficient writer. And that's something that I immediately snatched, snagged <laughs> up because like, I seriously, I'm like, this is me. This is, this is what I need right here. <laughs> Cause you have written, you've written 22 books and you've got more out, more coming soon. So yeah. you managed to do some things that, um, many writers struggle with. So, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, we, we touched briefly on the idea of, of researching and how you mm-hmm. have to research time periods, and things like that. Mm-hmm. One of the tips that you, you talk about in your efficient writer books, how to research efficiently. Could you give us a couple tips on that? (laughs) Well, okay. So I've had to learn this because I love research and like I could take one topic and spend like all day on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I had one book that I was, had a blue butterfly in it and it's fascinating. You know, I need all this, Oh, this is so great. And then there's like the history of butterfly hunting and all this stuff. So what I've learned is that I have to figure out what I need to know and like, I'm pretty self-disciplined, so I can, like, take five minutes and go online and look for it, and mm-hmm. if I can find it, great, but then if I can't, then maybe I need to leave that as a note in the mm-hmm. manuscript, and I'll just put, like, like a symbol or two and say, you know, find out where this is located, and, and then just keep going. Okay. Um, there are times when um, sometimes I'll, I'll go ahead and take the time if it's not going to be, like, a huge time sink. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll either do the note in the manuscript or I'll just go look really quickly and then come back. But if I find myself opening like multiple windows and keep, you know, then, then it's time to walk away because okay. I'll, be, I'll be there all day. So what are some ways that you've sort of tuned your self-discipline? Cause I feel like a lot of the efficiency strategies are really reliant on your own willpower. <laughs> yeah. um, what are some th- ways that you've kind of trained yourself as a writer to have this discipline? Well, I, I feel like, I mean, if I don't get the words down, then all my research doesn't matter, you know, because mm-hmm. if I don't get the book written, then so I feel like I just have to keep that in mind that this is a great thing to find out. And then I can come back later mm-hmm. if I need more research. Yeah. And a lot of times, I think just over time, I've learned that sometimes I think something so important, so critical. But then, like, after I finish the book and go back, I'm like, well, I didn't even need that. You know, yeah. maybe that scene has to go. So it's not worth it for me to spend, you know, two hours researching something that maybe I'm going to delete, you know, in a couple of weeks or, right. or a month or something. Yeah. So it's like I kind of have to keep in mind the bigger picture, I think. Yeah. So Speak- I think that's helpful. It is, it is helpful. Speaking of bigger picture, you're writing cozy mysteries, but you're not only writing standalone cozy mysteries, you also write cozy mysteries in a sort of series. People mm-hmm. want to be able to follow this amateur sleuth mm-hmm. on future adventures. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about how you envision the the series overall before you start writing or whether you're kind of doing it episodically i'm not good at that <laughs> like like i know that i love a series as a reader and i know cozy readers love series so usually i can figure out like i can see like maybe two or three books down the road mm-hmm. 
And so, but then after that, it gets really foggy. Okay. <laughs> and so I don't really, so usually I'll know, okay, I think that they're going to do this and then this, and then I kind of have to write to that point, and then it starts becoming clear again. So I'm not really good. I'm not one of those people that plans out, you know, 15-book series. Mm-hmm. So do you do, it's just easier for me to do it like shorter little blocks. Do you feel that as a result of, say, for example, you, you start these the series, but you plan to maybe write six books, even though it is vague, mm-hmm. do you feel like you have to keep your protagonist somewhat, not static, but have them have very mm-hmm. short character arcs yes. in this case, so they yeah. don't progress too much, so you have room yeah. for growth over a long term? Yeah, and that's something that took me a while to figure out, is that um, you know so much of the writing advice is on um, your character growth arc from mm-hmm. beginning to end of the book. Yeah. But if you if your character grows and changes a whole lot in book one, and then what are you going to do in book two? Yeah. So I do. I have a tendency to do like she'll have not necessarily a huge flaw, but like a challenge in each mm. book. Something that you know, and then like her personality does. The personalities of the characters I write about do change over time a little bit, but it's not like um, as deep possibly as some other types of fiction you know mine is more like you know she's got a certain challenge she has to overcome mm-hmm. and by the end of the book she's achieved that so she's like yay this is great but then there's a new challenge you know that's how life is anyway so, yeah absolutely so it's hard to have a really deep like emotional flaw and have that carry through several books right because you feel like they maybe they should have fixed it yeah right and it doesn't match with the tone of a cozy as well, you know? Yeah, you don't want to be dealing with too dark of an issue. Um, no. Kay asks, do you ever write your chapters out of order? For for instance, an idea hits you, so you write that chapter, then back into it. I usually just write in order. I'm pretty linear. Okay. And I think that comes from back when I started writing, I only had Word. And so I just had this big, huge Word document. And to, like, jump around and it was confusing. And mm. I think linear... But, like, if I think of something... I'll just make a note, like I'll have my document. I mean, now I write in Scrivener, so I have a separate little section of notes. It's like, go back and fix this, and don't forget to include, you know, that so-and-so was at the restaurant on Tuesday night, you know, because right. all that will matter. And, like, yeah. by the time I get to that chapter, I'm like, oh, yeah, i got to put that in. So, like, I just use, like, notes to help me do that. So, usually, I don't jump around. What's your revision process like as far as adding up your clues and making sure that they equal that the right guy murdered the right person? Or, you know, because yeah. obviously you have to know the murderer when you're starting out, right. I imagine. Yeah. And you have to yeah. introduce I, them relatively always, early on. Yeah, I always try and figure out before the book starts, I always try, want to know who the victim is, mm-hmm. what the murder method is, and who the murderer is. And then usually I try and figure out like like the the last clue that she's going to figure out that will help her go oh it all makes sense now okay so um so i kind of in my mind i work backwards from that but then like when i finish the book like i still have to go back and read the whole thing all the way through a couple of times just to make sure it all works Mm -hmm. and there have been times where like the person that i thought did it didn't do it you know and so i get to the end and i'm like okay that is just not going to work so who did it and I know authors that they don't know who the murderer is, and they, they just write till they get to the end, and they go, oh, well, obviously it's this person. And then they go back in and they put in the clues. So they, like, reverse engineer it. Yeah. So that would be all kinds difficult. of ways to do it. Yeah. I guess it would keep the mystery alive for you as the writer in that scenario, where if you don't know who, 
to do yeah. it either. I guess it keeps the, it keeps you guessing. Yeah. Um, interesting way to approach it. Um, oh, Pete Bauer asks, is the cozy mystery word count different than a standard mystery? Well, if you want to be traditionally published, they usually want between 75 and 85,000 words. Okay. Um, so that's what I used to turn in for my Kensington books. But now that I'm doing them indie publishing, um, I found that readers don't care as much about length. They just want a good story. And mm -hmm. so mine, I tend to naturally write to about 55 to 65,000. So readers are okay with a little bit shorter book as long as they don't feel like that part of the story was missing. You know, like, right. oh, that ended too quickly or something. You don't want that. Yeah. So I'd say like 50 to 80 is like kind of the range. When you're writing um, a romantic element in a cozy mm -hmm. mystery, obviously it, it's kind of your, if you're doing a series, obviously you don't necessarily want them to end up completely together. Or again, if you're trying yeah. to really go along with the character growth situation, it's you're kind of halfway between the romance and the series. Mm -hmm. So how do you handle romantic uh, well, get togethers? Okay, so I should have said this earlier when you asked about the tropes. So part of the tropes of a cozy is that they're very clean books. They're like very little, if any at all, no no bad language. So like okay. maybe some authors throw in a couple of words, mm. but then a lot of times I've heard that they get a lot of feedback that readers mm. don't like. That. So like clean books and no like romance on the like romance is okay, but you definitely want the close the door fade to black. Mm. You know you don't want the descriptions of love scenes and stuff so yeah um i would think you'd if you're going to have a romance you want it to be a sweet romance you know the readers are more interested in the mystery than yeah. the romance but you do if you include that you want it to be part of the character's life and just incorporate it into the story but i would definitely do like the slow burn where like um i've interviewed some um writers for my course that used to write romance so i interviewed mm -hmm. this woman and she now she writes cozy and she says she just does a super slow burn so she said you know book one they meet book two you know they might go on a date you know so it's okay. like really yeah. keeping it slow yeah that's smart yeah that's yeah. one way to approach it have you kept all of your protagonists single the entire time or what's well what's um i just like the English countryside book series. That's the first one in the murder on the location series. Um, that, that has seven books and the two main characters did get married in book seven. Yeah. So okay. I feel like once that happens, the series kind of takes a turn yeah. and most readers by that point, if they're invested in the series, they're going to go with you, mm. whatever. But it is, it becomes more of a, um, sleuthing here or you, like you just have to have a plan. Like maybe your characters get married. But then you have a plan somehow that maybe the spouse has a job that takes them away. So like your sleuth is still like sleeping a Nick and, on their own. Like a Nick and Nora situation for yes. the Thin Man, you know, which yeah. classic, yeah. you know, crime-solving duo. Yes, love uh, that. Yeah. It was, it was so good. I love those films. Yeah, or like the um, Heart to Heart TV series. I don't know if you remember that. It was like mm. years ago. It was yeah. about a couple that they owned a private detective agency, I think. So, like, if you have... It's set up where you can have a pair of sleuths and your audience goes with you. That's great. But if you think your audience is not in for that, then maybe you need to send one of them away on a job yeah. that takes them away while your person can sleuth alone. You know, so you could just have to kind of figure out what your readers want. Is there a specific genre convention as far as uh, point of view or narrative style as far as third person, first person, um, et cetera? 
Yeah, it's usually first person. Okay. Um, that's the majority of what I see, but there are single, authors that do single it. Single POV. Yeah. Yeah, okay. which that's another challenge when you're plotting and writing the book is how is your character going to find everything out? Because mm-hmm. you can't just have a scene from you know somebody else's point of view if you're doing yeah. only first person. Yeah. So that's when you need a friend in the police department or something. And you have to somehow develop your bad guy character. Yes. And yeah. Reveal them in a way that you know makes sense without having shown them the entire time, which is yeah. Uh, I've written a series in first person, so I know that challenge for sure. Um, it can be tough, yeah. Yeah. Marilyn says, yes, Heart to Heart was fun. So, <laughs> um, got some similar-minded folks here oh, watching. Which is That's great. cool. Yeah. But um, we've managed to blaze through half an hour already, which um, yeah. you know went by quickly, but, but it was a lot of fun, as, as I expected. Yeah. Um, so thank you. First off, thank you so much for taking the time to to be with us. And then, but where can people find more information about your books and both your fiction and also possibly for writers your nonfiction in your courses? Okay, well, everything's on my website, just sarahrosette.com. Okay. And then my books are on all the bookstores. So just look for my name; they'll be there. Okay. For those of you listening to the podcast, it's S A R A, no H on that one, and then Rosette is R O S E T T. So sarahrosette.com. Um, check that out if you're, you're listening while you're on the go. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your knowledge and sharing so much information about, about your genre with us. This has been a blast. Yeah, I've had fun. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'd love to have you on again sometime in the future. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, everyone, for watching, and we'll see you again uh, next episode.